Neves Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. We've got Professor Alison Pollock on the phone. Are you there, Alison? Yes, Thank you so much for joining us. You're a very esteemed professor, director of the Institute of Health and Society at Newcastle University. And you're, in addition to all of your um, accolades and decades of work uh, promoting public health care, you're very, very interested in rugby. And indeed, you've actually authored a book tackling rugby, what every parent should know about injuries. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So can we start, Alison? I know that you, you, you wrote an open letter some time ago calling for a ban on tackling in school rugby and you sent it to the chief medical officers and ministers for sport and education and health in the UK. Can you tell us why you originally wrote that letter? Well, I've spent more than a decade um, researching the evidence around injuries in rugby and uh, um, a group of us has been working on it, and it became very clear that when you looked at all the studies across the world, there was one uh, repeated consistent message that rugby was extremely dangerous, that the risk of injuries can be as high as 90% in some studies for children, and that the majority of injuries, about at least 75%, are occurring during contact, during the tackle and the scrum, and most injuries occur during the tackle. And two-thirds of all concussions occur during the tackle. And this is why we feel that we're not calling for a ban on rugby, we're calling for a removal of the tackle, the contact, the collision part, to make it much safer for children. Because children's brains are very delicate, they're very fragile, and one bang on the head can have very serious consequences, both in the short term and in the long term. And so we really have to protect children from dangerous collisions. Um, and that's why when we looked at the evidence, we wrote this open letter calling for the removal of the tackle from the school game because the school game is a bit special um, because um, local authorities and schools have a special duty of care, as do parents for children. No, I- What's, it seems so logical what you're saying, that you've identified where the risk is, particularly in the school game. You haven't mentioned rugby clubs or anything like no. that. And what response did you get? Well, over the decades, as you can imagine, a very hostile response from uh, both uh, players, but particularly World Rugby and the rugby unions, um, uh, because, of course, rugby is very much part of British society and the British establishment and of course it's a real threat if you start to take the tackle out of the school game then of course the rugby unions are very worried about what happens to the professional game but the point is there are more than a million uh, people under the age of 24 in the UK playing rugby but most of those will never become professional players and indeed most people give up rugby by the time they're 24. And one of the most common reasons for giving up rugby is because of the way it interferes with their education and also fear of repeated injuries. Uh, Disillusionment with the game and injuries is a very common reason for giving up. So um, in spite of the hostility um, from the rugby unions, um, actually children and players are voting with their feet. They're voting to stop playing because of the risk. 
And we know that even locally, you know, this is a time of year when our children begin the rugby season. And a lot of us are sort of, you know, I'm not very au fait with rugby. And I certainly have lots of questions about the game itself. And, you know, based on what the evidence that you've given, it seems terribly worrying for lots of parents. And we need to know what we need to be sort of asking of clubs and schools when our children yeah. are playing rugby. Can you give us any advice about along the lines of what we should be looking for and asking yeah. in our in our coaches and teachers? Well, I think the most important thing is uh, let's look at how they're recording the injuries over the last year or two years. Right. How many injuries have there been? What are the natures of the injuries? Where have they been? Um, and I think that will start to give them um, uh, a much better picture because injuries are not accidents. These are not acts of God. People tend to think of injuries as oh, bad luck. They're not. They're often, they're, as I say, they're mainly um, occurring during contact. And really, I think parents would be much better off if they persuaded the children to play other forms of sport that are not collision sport or rugby with uh, tag rugby and non-contact rugby. And then the because you know the number of parents that stand on the you know, on uh, on the sides of the pitches biting their nails during matches really worrying. And so in this book we've set out lists of questions that parents should ask. But I think the most important thing is to become informed about the real risks of the game. And that's what I set out to do in this book to really set it out for parents that these are not these these this game has serious and significant risks and so both parents and children really need to be informed and as parents you've got a special duty of care you take all sorts of steps to protect your children on the roads um you know not drinking eating bad food or drinking bad drinks um and so really you've got a special duty of care and it is really beholden on us to understand what the risks are associated with sport and then to take the necessary steps and measures and to make sure they're put in place. And unfortunately, there isn't a lot of evidence about good interventions of protection. Things like skull caps, there's no evidence that that works. No. Um, coaches' attitudes are very, very important. Uh, children should not be just playing the game to win, and that's very important. And um, really, the prevention of concussions should be the, not just the management of concussion but the coaches, the referees, and even sometimes the parents can be standing, can, can actually be bad examples to children. And I think the other big problem is that the children, the professional game is so violent, as you know when you watch it, that children are expected to mimic and reflect that professional game. And that's why we're saying the professional game and the children's game should be completely separate games with completely different rules. Equally, you know, what you're referring to in some senses is the culture around the game and yeah. the sort of cultural expectations and things that are applauded generally in British society about rugby are yeah. sort of transferred onto the children's game slightly, you know, manning up and getting on with an injury being part and parcel of it. And, yeah. you know, that seems to be quite common as an attitude. And anyone in the, you'd be in the minority as a parent if you said, you, you know, you're accused of sort of keeping them in cotton wool if you, if, if you wouldn't let them. Absolutely. And yet, um, you know, when you speak to the children, they don't like being injured and they don't like seeing their friends being injured. It's quite terrifying when they see their friends being injured with broken bones and, and, and blood pouring out of their noses and eyes. 
Um, so they don't want to see this, and it's not wrapping children up in cotton wool to make sure that they're playing games safely. They can still get a lot of enjoyment out of running around, out of the non-contact version, and all the team spirit and camaraderie, but that doesn't need to involve the contact part of it, and it's not wrapping up your children. You don't say that when you give your children cycling lessons or don't let them go on dual carriageways or busy roads. Um, you would never say you were wrapping up your children in cotton wool if you didn't like let them cycle on very busy roads. So um, I don't know why we have this. Um, it, it, it is, it's a cultural attitude, and I think we have to think about it from the viewpoint of protecting the child. As you mentioned, this interesting um, element of schools recording head injuries in the pro- appropriate way, mm-hmm. um, should they be aware of what, is there a particular template that all schools should use to record hen- head injuries? And also, if children, as you know, have a head injury in a different context, when out cycling or doing anything, how do we, as know that those kind of injuries are taken into account by by educational establishments? Well, when we've done surveys, we know that injury recording, though they're supposed to record injuries, it's not always done very well. But even if you record the injuries, you should then be measuring and monitoring them. And so you really need to say how many have there been, what were they doing, what was the activity, what was the cause of injury. And there has been a big problem nationally. We're one of the worst um, countries in Europe when it comes to recording injury by nature and cause, not just in schools, but in emergency departments as well. And hopefully that's about to change with a new injury data set so we can act on it. Because you you, you can't solve the problem unless you're monitoring the problem and knowing where to intervene, which is why these studies of rugby injury are so important, because they show us where the problem is and they show us that the tackle is where most injuries occur, and that's what needs to be taken out of the game. You've mentioned other sort of jurisdictions where people play rugby, just informally. I was talking to someone whose children are in France um, yesterday, and they don't play contact rugby. And, you know, she said that the whistle blows every five seconds as they teach them sort of very gradually and carefully how to tackle each other, you know, or not tackle each other, but sort of intercept Mm -hmm. each other. And it all seems to be, you know, and, and again, in New Zealand, I think it's slightly different as well, isn't it? Yes, um, there are all sorts of, there there are different um, ways in which the laws are being translated in different places. But um, New Zealand still has contact, so does South Africa. And one of the problems is that though there are prevention initiatives, none of these are being evaluated properly. So we don't know whether, in fact, they reduce (coughs) the risks and rates of injury. So some of this is just soft soap that we get where the world rugby and the world rugby unions are trying to placate parents and appease them and saying, look, we're managing concussions, we're doing this and we're doing that. But the big problem is that the evaluations are not taking place that we really need. Um, and so really, it, the onus should be on world rugby to say, well, we'll take out the contact and we won't introduce it again, reintroduce it, unless and until the game can be shown to be safe when we do so. Have there been any very recent changes technically to the game of rugby that you would be, you know, happy about or that they've done recently that you think were moving in the right direction? 
Well, one of the really interesting things is it's a very complicated rugby and the law, uh, game rugby and the laws of the game are constantly changing. So there have been changes, for example, to the scrum, there have been ta- changes to the laws of tackle, but none of them, of the tackle, but none of them go, um, you know, far enough. So, for example, spear tackle has been removed, um, tackling techniques have been changed, so has the scrum. But really, none of them have gone far enough in the case of children and we're talking about children as a particularly vulnerable group it's interesting isn't it because in other areas of life in britain the parents are so vocal and in some ways we're living a very protective society but this seems to sort of just get under the radar in some ways yes it is extraordinary in a way because what's very interesting is in american football where the mothers are becoming more and more vocal and have been actually for a hundred years and the parents And, of course, American football now is where we know we're seeing a lot of concussion and a lot of big billion-dollar legal cases from the professional players. But we shouldn't have to wait for the professional players to go to court before there's action for the children's game. That's the big problem. You know, the children are vulnerable. The professional players are doing this voluntarily, and yet they're organising and it'll only be as the professional players take action that we'll see more safeguards being introduced. But we can't wait for, these, for the, this to happen for children because children are very young, they're very vulnerable, and they've got soft brains which are maturing and growing. Well, Alison, we're going to leave, leave it there, unfortunately, because we've got so many people to, to speak to tonight. Our next guest is actually a parent whose child has been concussed during a rugby match. So it would be great if you could st- you know, listen at home and... And uh, we might have time to come back to you with some comment at the end of the show, if possible. Thank you very much for asking me. Thank you very much for joining. And if you could just mention the name of your book again, that would be wonderful. Yes, it's uh, Tackling Rugby, What Every Parent Should Know About Injuries. It's published by Verso and my name's Alison Pollock. Lovely. Thank you so much, Professor Alison Pollock. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. And tonight we're, we're tackling rugby as an issue from, from every angle. And our next guest is, is, a, is a mom who has first-hand experience from that and we're delighted to join um, for, uh, for Kathleen to join us this evening. Are you there, Kathleen? I'm here. Now, Kathleen, tell us, you've been listening to Alison Pollock, there, just to get your, your, your comments, your immediate thoughts after that interview. Um. I, I thought Alison raised some really excellent points. Um, I, I think everything is hugely valid, uh, and I think that we need to advocate for children, and anything that we do for them um, is with their current um, health and their future health in mind. Um, and I, I think you know, rugby has many positives about it, but um, we need to balance that. Now, tell us your story, Kathleen, because sadly your son actually was concussed during a rugby match. Is that right? Yes, he was. And I, I should preface the, um, my story with uh, by saying that, you know, I'm a huge fan of rugby. Um, I love watching rugby. Um, we're a big sporting family. Um, so sport's very important for us. Um, but my views as a parent um, are certainly changing. Um, so our son, Ben, is currently 11 um, and when he was nine, uh, so two years ago, in May 2015, he had his first rugby concussion uh, playing club rugby. 
at the end of the season. Um, and he recovered fine from that. Um, but early last year in January, so this time last year, he was playing a school rugby match and he was concussed in that match as well. Um, and a few weeks after um, that concussion, he developed a, a very de debilitating condition, which is called post-concussion syndrome, which is a complication of concussion. Um, and that involved several weeks off school, um, incredible, um, incredibly debilitating symptoms like sleep disturbance, fatigue, um, you know, sort of cognitive um, fatigue. It was, it was a really difficult time. And indeed, he's not alone because 20% of children injured while playing rugby have, have been off school as well for, for yeah. considerable well, amounts um, of time. Unfortunately, um, so he recovered from that by Easter. Um, and we had went seven months with him enjoying great health, but going back to school um, last term, he was playing football, um, and it turned out that, uh, well, we didn't realise that having had two concussions in the past um, actually makes you much more susceptible to subsequent concussions from ever-decreasing forces. Um, and he actually played a football match at school, headed the ball twice, and um, that evening the symptoms of post-concussion syndrome started up again uh, and, and lasted for two months. Um, so we've, he's actually, we've just had his um, school report from last term, which documented 51 um, half-day absences. Um, so it, it's had a tremendous impact on, on him mm. physically, emotionally, and on, and on us as a family. Um, it's been incredibly worrying, and obviously we don't know going forward um, what effect uh, these concussions uh, will have on him. You know, sort of the medical science isn't sufficiently developed to give us conclusive answers um, as to how long his symptoms will last or how long, um, you know, he will, con you know, he, at the moment he's experiencing some cognitive fatigue, he has problems with uh, memory recall, um, and we really don't know. Doctors can't tell us. Um, what his future holds, whether there will be any medium-term or long-term problems. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a very uh, worrying situation. And Kathleen, if you had, you know, if, if people are listening whose children may not be yet at the age of contact rugby, what advice do you have for them? Um, I, I think that um, I, I would certainly want me now, if I were going back, um, he started playing rugby when he was five, club rugby, rugby as has his, um, did his younger brother. Um, I think I would be wanting to educate myself more on the risks um, involved and what the statistics are. Though, as Alison mentioned, um, the UK really doesn't do very well at all in terms of um, monitoring and, and having a register of, of injuries. Um, but my experience at the club rugby level is that there isn't much information made. In fact, I'm not aware of any information made available to parents. I don't know um, of the club offering any sessions about um, concussion, if your child is concussed, what to look for. Um, I think, yes, just sort of going in with your eyes open um, and understanding what the statistics generally are and that there is a, a really good chance that your child is, could get injured um, playing rugby. So you have to balance up um, the risks against the uh, potential benefits. Equally, you know, as, as I've said to you before, my son's had concussion cycling a bike and then a concussion playing a different sport. But these cumulative concussions are really dangerous, as you've mentioned. 
Yes, they're, they're dangerous, but I think um, also, I, I, in, in my experience with, with my son's concussions, um, I think there's a lot of um, misunderstanding and misconception around uh, concussions. Sort of the reactions I've had from friends and, and others are, oh, was he unconscious? He must have been knocked out. Or, um, you know, was he really incoherent? Or did he vomit? Um, and what people don't realize is that... Um, you that 90% of concussions actually don't involve any loss of consciousness. Um, it, the RFU, I think now called England Rugby, um, produce a pocket, a pocket concussion recognition tool, which is meant to help um, match officials. To, Lovely. To and recognize. also Alison Pollock has written a whole book for parents, yes. which we weren't previously aware of, so it's terribly important. Yes, and it, sounds it, like and a, it sounds like a book I need to read. And Alison Pollock, obviously, on her university page for parents listening, there's a lovely summary of the evidence she submitted to the all-party parliamentary group and briefing to the rugby union. So it's packed with very interesting facts, among them that a history of previous concussion predisposes to repeat concussions. Children are more likely to experience concussion than adults and take longer to recover. Yes, no, they they stood out to me. And yes. equally, we'll come on to this because we've got a rugby coach for girls coming on later in the show, but girls are three to four times more likely to experience post-concussive symptoms lasting more than 28 days. So there's lots to think about as parents. And thank you for joining us, Kathleen. We're going to move on now to Tim Simpson. So thank you for joining us, Kathleen. Pleasure. And hopefully you'll, we'll maybe perhaps speak to you at the end of the show. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Welcome back to The Parent Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. And now we've had, we've spoken to Professor Alison Pollock this evening about who thinks basically children should not be playing contact rugby at school, particularly um, she's interested in removing the tackle um, from the um, play, school play. And we've spoken to Kathleen Ball, who told us her, the story of her son, Ben, who was concussed during a match. But we're going to speak now to Tim Simp Stimpson, who's hopefully on the phone. Are you there, Tim? I am indeed. And just, I'm sure anyone who's a rugby fan will know you. You've got a Wikipedia page all to yourself <laughs> but just to highlight you know you played 19 times for england and for the british and irish lions that's right yep so yeah up, amongst the many brilliant things that you've done you've got a great record um in rugby and you obviously are a rugby fan you have probably presumably been injured yourself many times in matches sure i've been knocked out and my mum's cried two or three times and been very upset to see me um you know, suffering because of rugby. Um, but I have to say that the, I, I believe, and you'll not be surprised to hear this, but I think it's worth it. And, and I've listened intently to the conversation that's been going on. And, I, and first of all, I applaud anybody that wants to protect children. I'm a father. And I, you know, I, the most important thing is to make sure your kids can enjoy sport safely. But I, I feel that there's a few um, bits of evidence out there that suggest that a lot is being done. Okay. By the RFU to try to protect our kids. So. And Tim, you're a you're a parent. You're a coach. You coach yourself, and you've played rugby since the age of four. So you've been brought up in rugby, and um, yet you were still injured quite significantly. So is is it just a case of you know if you love the sport to that extent, you have to just live with the risk? Well, no. I think it's, that would be negligent. I think it's, it's our duty of care to do whatever we can to minimise the, the risk to children, especially. 
hand in the game, which is why the governing body, the RFU, has done so much to change the laws and also to bring out best practice to try to prevent injury. But, you know, we, you talk about wanting to protect your child, but my job as a parent isn't just to protect. My job is to prepare my children for life. And I think the lessons and the, and the morals and the, and the opportunity that rugby provides far outweighs the, the risk. And I feel very sorry for Kathleen and any parent which has suffered any child that suffered from playing rugby, but I think massively overwhelmingly that the, the ability of rugby to prepare us for life in general out, far outweighs the risk. And Tim, can you kind of expand on that? Because, you know, I don't play rugby. But what are the, the qualities, the characteristics that it would encourage in young people? You know, is it the team, the working in a team, or what is it that, that perhaps it wouldn't, that, that, that it has uniquely compared to other sports? Well, I think the tenets of rugby, they're, they're, they're words that are bandied about, but you, they're words like teamwork and enjoyment and discipline and respect and sportsmanship. And I've heard the argument that um, you don't need to have a physical contact sport to enjoy um, and benefit and learn, learn about teamwork and enjoyment and discipline. But having experienced many sports and played to a high level in places like cricket, as well as coaching touch rugby, there's an extra level of respect, there's an extra level of discipline when you go into combat with each other, when the game is, is contact. And I feel very strongly that in a world where we seem to be wanting to protect as opposed to prepare, you, it's important that we can still play contact sport. And are you, are you saying, Tim, that you, are you saying that the children should stay away from contact sport until a, a certain age and that it should be done safely? I think you need to do whatever you can to maximise the safety of the players. So the whole, the new rules of the game, lots is, lots is, lots is being done, by the way, by the, the governing bodies to make sure that uh, there's a very structured progression of how youngsters enter the game, how they're, how they're playing, how they're taught, how the game's refereed, so that hopefully before the players sort of become, you know, 12 stone or 15 stone um, uh, professionals or, or men, they've actually learned how to play the game. Because my worry is if you take away the learning uh, that happens from the ages of 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and all of a sudden you throw somebody into a contact sport, they're far more likely to get injured. But, Tim, isn't there so much discrepancy between children playing even in school rugby? Some have been in clubs, are in clubs, obviously much more, you know, there's, there's that exper experiential d discrepancy. But also you've got children of different weight playing against each other, which doesn't seem to kind of, does that come into people's minds when they're refereeing or, or putting those teams together? Yeah, it must, it must, and it, and it does, but I think there's always room for improvement. Okay. So there's a, there is a program called Rugby Safe. Right. Which is all about player safety. The RFU, again, is talking about player safety and, and well-being projects that, that, that try to support, you know, all the clubs, the colleges, the schools. And there's even a, you know, I've heard, again, there's something called Don't Be a Head Case. Okay. It's a big concussion campaign. And, and that's seen as the, almost the, the leading concussion campaign around to, to try to teach all the stakeholders what, what happens if somebody bangs their head, what are the symptoms, and how can we provide best practice to manage any p potential concussion injuries, etc. So would you imagine that any school should be very familiar with don't be a head case and rugby safe? Would that be standard? 
I, this is the, the point. I think I'd be horrified if I found that my child was injured playing rugby and the person in control hadn't, uh, hadn't, got, the, sort of the, hadn't got the skills to recognise the danger. As you say, if there's a, a very big child running at a very small child who, who isn't competent, hasn't been taught properly how to, how to tackle, then that shouldn't happen. So, so I think there's always a, yeah. there's a need, uh, a duty of care upon all of us that's been quite rightly raised by you know, Professor Allison to say that you can't just carry on willy-nilly throwing big boys against small boys and not, not measuring it. But once again, it, the, the RFUR running, the, I think it's the longest and the largest running community um, injury survey that's ever been run. So it's not right to say that rugby isn't trying to make itself safe. And you, you're obviously, you know, literally on the front line. You, you know of these amendments, and and you feel like they are progressing towards a safer game for children. Yes, they are, uh, and and we can only ever try to implement change to make it safer. But we need to be um, practical about implementing change. I mean, even this week, there's been a change in sort of the tackle height. Not just what they call a spear tackle when someone's lifted off the ground and ploughed into the, into the turf, which is obviously bad for your neck. But it's also tried to lower the, the legal height at which a tackler can tackle someone with the ball. And that is an attempt, again, just to make everyone acutely aware of the danger of, of, of tackling too high. But we need to assess the impact on that because if, if it's the tackler that's then running into bony bits, such as your knees, your hips and your elbows, then... Such sort of um, implement interventions could actually end up causing more injuries to the to the tackler. So um, we've got to look at this holistically. We've got to say it's, it's an amazing game. Um, for some children, it'll never be right for them to play contact sports, and I think they should be allowed to en enjoy all different types of sports. And they can really enjoy tag rugby and touch rugby because they are amazing games and give a lot of the value that full contact rugby can give. Lovely. But so you think they can still have those? Contact, they can be allowed to progress. Yeah, they can still enjoy tag rugby. Obviously, yeah. It's yeah. an amazing game, but I do honestly believe, very personally, that the, my ability to be to do well at school, it wasn't uh, just because of my academic success. It was due to the confidence and the self-respect that I earned playing rugby. And to say that rugby can only be a detrimental to your academic and future success is, is wrong. So in your in your case, it enhanced it arguably. There's lots of evidence. Yeah. Even when it comes to, to coping with mental um, and, and for like um, stimulation of the cerebellum and the ability to to, to to learn and retain information, a combination of physical and mental stimulation, it's proven to be more effective than just being locked up in a room doing academics. So we have to look practically, I think, at life and, and not. I'm worried about this, you know, cotton wooling of children and. and that's, I just think we should look at all the evidence and then we need to be um, honest about um, how we can use the evidence to make the game better for everyone. And Tim, can I ask you, so if a parent is listening and they want to find out whether their rugby club, their school rugby team are adhering to the best practice, how, what, what buzzwords should they be using? How should they be asking? They, should be, they, they, they can't just drop their kids off at, at, at rugby and expect everything to be okay. I think it's a parent's obligation to make sure that the club or the school is doing everything it possibly can to prevent injury. So it needs to be making sure that people have been trained by the governing body, by the Rugby Football Union's programme called Rugby Safe. You need to make sure that 
the head teacher or the head of games is, you know, what, what is the don't be a head case concussion campaign? And I think it, I'd like to see parents going into schools and into clubs and demanding to see the evidence because we, I don't want to be... Um, party to any injury that could have been prevented no and listen tim just to, we have to end it there with you but just to highlight you do some fantastic work so much more generally in terms of helping individuals and organizations um generate money and give back to the community so i'd just like to highlight you you run sportingpartnerships.co.uk is that correct That's right and it, it, it's really the rugby ethos that we've talked about that yeah. teamship and sportsmanship and we've raised hundreds of thousands of pounds, or I have, for many sort of rugby-based charities like the Wooden Spoon, in order to look after disadvantaged people in our community. And I think it's our moral obligation to do whatever we can, when we can, to help others. And that's certainly a great positive that's come out of your rugby career as well, isn't it? It is, and but I think um, neglect not the gift that is within thee. Yeah. And to prevent a child who is, who is suitable and qualified to enjoy the joy of physical combat would be to reduce... His, his and her quality of life well lovely thank you so much for joining us that's tim stimpson joining us from leicester thanks so much tim pleasure all the very best thank, thank you. you thank you Radio welcome back to the parent show on radio verulam 92.6 fm now we've been, gosh, we've been having lots of different views this evening about the benefits or not of allowing our children to play contact rugby. Well, that's when we want our listeners to get yeah. every single perspective possible out there. Absolutely. And, uh, and tonight is doing just that. And I think we're, we're, we've got Will Wilson on the phone. And the reason why we've invited Will on is because, well, Will, compared to everyone else, you're very young. You're 19. That's very young to us. And you are currently in your second year at Oxford. Can you hear me okay? Yes, absolutely fine. And, wow, listen to this, Lydia. Double Oxford Rugby Blue captained the under-18s at the Commonwealth Youth Games 2015, represented the WAS. What's that, Will? What's the, w what's the WASS? Uh, I'm afraid that one's completely lost on me. I'm not sure. Oh, right, okay. Sure it must be my writing. <laughs> I've just given you a new accolade. And captained Wellington College uh, to national titles in both 15s and 7s. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds more recognisable, yeah. So you are basically like the poster boy for um, Oxbridge Rugby, basically. I wouldn't quite go that far, but <laughs> if, if you're heeping accolades on my shoulders, I'll, I'll, I'll accept them with, uh, you know. So, so well, we've been talking about, you know, this is a show for parents and trying to guide parents as to who might be very worried about their children playing contact sport. Now, how do you feel as a, you know, obviously you obviously love rugby, but can you give any advice to parents listening who have that worry about what their children may or may not be getting from the game? So I think in terms of worrying about head injuries, it's, it's necessary to put it into perspective. Like, I think that at the moment, contact rugby is introduced to boys and girls when they're around eight, eight or nine years old. And I think that if this age was to be raised to sort of 14 or 15 years old, we have to bear in mind that that's five more years of physical development for, for young people without technical training. And we see this problem a lot in American football where you have sort of far greater forces running at each other and people don't know correctly how to combat them. And we teach young people, sort of the ages of eight or nine, when they first get into contact, about, you know, correct foot position, correct head position, how to tackle with the shoulders rather than the arms and the head. 
and when they make mistakes these mistakes are, are far less sort of consequential because of the limited amount of force that's being put through because an 8 year old is running at them rather than a 14 or 15 year old so I think if you want to get involved in, in, in rugby I think to, to introduce contact at a young age yes there are risks but there are always going to be risks in, because of the nature of a contact sport but I think it's crucial that these technical aspects are coached at a young age where risks in fact are minimalised and people can grow up and enjoy the game more as it becomes more physical because they know the correct technique and are safer in that way but Will you've mentioned American football there's a big difference isn't there those guys are padded up to the hilt they're wearing helmets aren't they you guys aren't so it makes me feel as a parent that I can't there's there's such a discrepancy between those two sports yet they're always drawn into comparison yeah I, I, I see where you're coming from but actually the, the helmet um, is is in many ways a negative because it gives the players an aura of invincibility there's been a couple of studies done in rugby with sort of people talked about where making the wearing of scrum caps mandatory but in fact this adds a sort of extra sense of confidence to players that they can afford to be um sort of they can afford to not worry about their head positions but in fact scrum caps just they help in sort of the odd bump and bruise, say an elbow or a knee, like the court accidentally to the head. But in terms of actually nullifying the effects of concussion, their effects are very minimal. And this is the same in American football, where the helmet, actually the repercussions of the force that goes through the head with the helmet, um, almost amplify the effect. And because the players wear the helmet, they're not afraid to tackle with the head. And they're not afraid to sort of lead into collisions incredibly recklessly. And as a result this is actually causing more and more damage to American footballers, as can be seen by statistics, which show that in terms of game time, there are significantly more concussions in American football than there are in rugby because technique is poorly coached. Um, Will, can I ask, did you mean that start the children doing contact as soon as possible because they'll have more training in before they're an actual danger to each other, say, at the age of 14 and 15? Is, Is that what you meant? It's not that it's not as sort of as soon as possible, so that we can, you know, um, essentially bleed potential professional athletes. It's a safety safety precautions are always going to be at the forefront of of, of a contact sport like rugby, and we're seeing this in that um, there are new laws concerning sort of tackling around the head and neck area, and the risks come with the sport, and the risks come with the successes and the fantastic feelings of euphoria that you get in any team sport. But I personally think that the, the techniques and the sort of nous that I learned when I, was, when I was very young training to be in contact rugby, if I'd had to wait for six or seven years and then come up against much bigger and much tougher opposition while trying to learn the basic skills, it would have made my life a lot more difficult and um, far less safe. But when I came up against bigger opponents, I knew for a fact that if I trusted in my technique and made sure that I got my head on the right side when I tackled and made sure that I knew what I was doing around a breakdown area where I had sort of bodies flying in left, right and centre, because I'd been coached at it when people were smaller and injuries were, were less frequent, I had the confidence to do that. But Will, and what I, age did you start rugby at? So I started playing rugby, I think, at age four and started doing contact rugby aged eight. Yeah, so Tim as well, he started at four. His dad was a coach, you know. These are, you know, these are, I think when you're doing it well, when you are coached well, when you're brought up with the etiquette of the game, you're in a significantly better position, presumably. Of course, yeah. But, I mean, in, in that case, the parents need to 
In terms of parents' worries, I, I understand it completely. Of course, I do. I mean, my mum frets every single time I go on a rugby field. But um, but I think it's it, it is it's the responsibility of the coaches to be educated in these areas. And the rugby football union are making concerted efforts to educate coaches, educate physiotherapists in the dangers of a concussion and how to recognise it. And so a lot of onus it is placed on the coaches, but I don't think that with the with the volume and sophistication increasingly of knowledge that is being imparted on coaches at all levels of the game nowadays, I don't feel as though parents should see that as an inhibiting factor, and certainly children should not view it as such. Yeah, it does seem quite confusing landscape as a parent. It's terribly confusing, all the different rugby games and leagues and clubs. And then you have lots of different pieces of kind of policy that some clubs will implement and some don't seem to know about. And, you know, it's quite confusing. But uh, moving on from a sort of negative there, you know, what would you say are the greatest moments you've ever had playing rugby? And what are the things it's really given you in your life? I think the, the greatest moment for me, without a doubt, was winning the varsity match in 2015. Um, conversely, my biggest low was losing the varsity match in 2016. But um, <laughs> I, I, think, um, I think in terms of what it's given me is there's a certain amount of great pride and great privilege I take from observing my teammates who, when we all have the same goal and observing them sort of put in so much, invest themselves to such an extent both physically and emotionally and to know that they're doing that to, to share in something that I'm working towards for them and as a result they're doing it in a sense for me as well as for everybody else I find that immensely um, sort of honouring to, to myself and it makes me want to invest myself more in my teammates and as a result those, those bonds that you forged and the, the friends that you make through such a physically taxing sport uh, I, I think something that you you would struggle to find in any in any other sport. And I think the whole you've really sold the whole you know, the team the the spirit of the team you can really get from that, can't you? And the sort of the benefits of team sport are so beautifully put. Absolutely, yeah. I think the it's why. So I mean, I have a couple of friends at Oxford who do who do rowing and swimming, and I think that while ro- rowing obviously is a team sport, but it, it, it's very individual in, in the sense of competition and in the sense of training yeah. there's no real sort of uh, there's limited in getting that and also with, with swimming obviously you can't really talk to people while you while you train while you're swimming your lengths and so I think that the fact that you can continually engage with your teammates doing a team sport like rugby or like football um, and while training you can work on skills together you can push each other in, in so many different areas I think that that's where team sports are, are just are, are so fantastic and that's why I think that to try and sort of limit them and pull them back like some people are suggesting we should do to young children because of concussion risks I think is I think is a great shame well listen Will we could listen to you all night you've got a lovely voice as well and uh, you've been brilliant thank you so much for joining us and um, yeah God help your mother watching you on the rugby pitch every week I don't I don't envy her <laughs> no me neither probably. I'm sure she's your biggest fan I'd like to think so. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Will. Thanks so much. Welcome back to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. And we've got a fascinating show this evening. We've been talking about tackling in rugby, uh, rugby 
as a contact sport and not as a contact sport from every perspective. And now to add one more dimension to it, we've got Gavin Lendon, who's the club treasurer and coach for girls rugby um, in for the under-11s in Harpenden. Gavin, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Thanks for joining us this evening on The Parents Show. My pleasure. I hope you've had a chance to listen to the conversation up till now. I mean, we've kind of come at it from every angle and we've spoken about the dangers of concussion. Talk to us about concussion and girls in particular. Um, Well, as you've already mentioned, the risk of concussion event with girls is higher than boys. Um, The way we approach it at Harpenden is... um, the rugby safe course was mentioned earlier we run one of those before christmas um one of the big issues from my perspective is educating the parents um because uh, i had an instance before christmas where someone told me they had a mild concussion but that was a parent describing their daughter Uh, and in rugby it's binary it's either you're concussed or you're not there's no halfway house um so as a consequence if I have someone who I think is concussed, I will email the school uh, because, as Alison, uh, Professor Alison Pollock was describing earlier, there is a second impact syndrome, uh, as was uh, the parents as well. Uh, unless the schools and the clubs are united on how they approach things, then the risk of a second impact is much more in. Gavin, Gavin, do you know what? That is so brilliant yeah. that you have flagged that up. Like, fair play to you. That is, I'm sure not every club does that, but that is so brilliant to know that Harpenden does. And that's exactly, I think, what showing, you're showing us in practice what our other guests have been talking about in exactly, theory. Yes. So it's wonderful to know that it, it actually does happen. And And tell us, do you think it's widespread? Do you think the kind of, the level of, of, care that you're taking in your club is is commonplace i think we're we're very privileged to be in Hertfordshire because we have uh, a number of clubs that are very proactive and very sensible and have great links with their with their schools so for example at harpenden again it's the club i'm at so it's one i'll use as an example um our coaches are in place and assist with ramwood um sjl and st george's so, and I think OAs have a, a similar relationship with their schools, and I think possibly OVs as well. I'm not sure of that, though. So, instead of coaches teaching within schools having their own rugby court coaches, they're bringing you guys in to. We, we assist, yes. You assist together, Which is together with the school, schools, it? rugby yeah. teachers. It, yes, because I think one of the, the points that uh, Professor Pollock would have raised is one of the issues. Uh, for children in particular is that some of the some of the teachers aren't qualified enough to teach rugby for sake of argument um now i know the as a lot of all you other callers have suggested the rfu are doing uh, are making great strides in educating teachers um but it's also incumbent upon the clubs if they're going to increase their own player base to assist the schools as much as they possibly can and uh, Gavin, you know this issue that we read earlier about um, girls being more prone to the effects of concussion? Yes. The, is the girls' game significantly different to the boys' game in terms of managing risk? Uh, I think that there's a number of issues here. Um, girls mature mentally and physically before boys. And so at the age of 13, 14, they're almost fully grown. Um, so as a consequence, they're not going to grow much further 
from that point. Okay, um, yes. So there's that as a first point. Secondly, um, you'll spot that at, uh, I think most of callers described that they started playing rugby when they were five or six. That's right. Girls don't tend to start playing rugby until they play some tag rugby in Hertfordshire at year five and six at school, and then they can play contact in secondary school. That's a significant difference, isn't it? Absolutely. So as a consequence, the, your risk strategy is completely different as well. Wow. And just because it's a local show, obviously, tell us, have you got spaces for more girls and women in your rugby teams locally? We certainly do, yes. The, the women's game is expanding dramatically. I think we're on a, on a bit of a high at the moment after the This Girl Can campaign, which I'm sure you saw on the television. Yes. And also the, what the wonderful performances by both the men and the women at Rio. Uh, which, uh, as a consequence of that, we kind of almost doubled in numbers. And uh, I, I noticed your accent, so I, this might be a bit more controversial. Um, England are currently world champions at rugby at 15s, but unfortunately, <laughs> the next World Cup is next year in Ireland. Woohoo! Mm. <laughs> there's no bias in this show bring, at all bring <laughs> on the green. didn't notice any at all <laughs> now there's something what about Hurley and Gaelic football in, in Ireland there just seem to be less injuries in Hurley and Gaelic but that's just complete anecdotal <laughs> what is it anecdotal <laughs> do you know anything about the Irish sports like that that are also collision sports but uh, I don't know uh, I, I, I do I do actually enjoy watching them I must be must be honest and uh, it's interesting that one of my girls uh, I was having a conversation by email with them and they're trying Gaelic football in the summer so wow I, I don't know where that's going to be I didn't know there was any locally but I, I will yeah. find out for you there definitely is in Luton I'm sure that has a big Irish that community yeah um, then so give us your details Gavin for people who want to get in touch um, and uh, you know it's, I think you're a very reassuring coach isn't he Lydia for, absolutely for I, th I think there was a disconnect between the theory and the passion um, uh, 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 passion I think you hit the nail on the head there uh, every rugby person is passionate about their sport and, yeah, uh, but you've bridged that now for parents beautifully yes yeah, so give us your contacts Gavin uh, the best way to contact uh, me at half a minute is girlsrugby at hrc.com girlsrugby at hrc.com Lovely. Yes. Lovely, Gavin. Thanks a million for joining us on the Parents Show this evening. No problem. Thanks so much. Thanks for your time. All the best. Bye. Bye-bye. So, thanks to all our guests this evening. Unfortunately, we were hoping to get back to Professor Pollock for a uh, last few words and right. Kathleen, mm. but we've run right out of time. But I hope, uh, as listeners, you feel that we've covered it from every angle and that you have more clarity about it. All the links for uh, for Professor Pollock's book are on our Facebook page, as well as her website and other websites connected to the show. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. All the best. Neve Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution.